0: The following podcast is based on actual X Files cases.
1: The teleco spirits of the air.
2: My conviction remains intact that the mechanism by which a boa killed and in turn survived can only be explained by medical science. Deceive, inveigle, and obfuscate.
3: Welcome back to X-Files Truth. Today's file is Teleco. X-File number, classified. The plot. On an international airline flight, an African man enters the bathroom, where he's attacked by a man exhibiting albino traits. The man leaves the bathroom with his normal black skin tone. After the plane lands in the United States, a flight attendant discovers the victim in the bathroom devoid of his skin pigmentation. Three months later, Skinner calls in Scully and informs her that four African American men have been kidnapped in Philadelphia. One of them has been found dead, exhibiting depigmentation. A specialist from the CDC believes that the men have died from a disease and has requested Scully to investigate the case.
4: Thank you for getting here so quickly.
2: There's not much traffic at this hour.
3: Agent Scully, this is Dr. Simon
4: Bruin. He's with the Philadelphia Office of the Centers for Disease Control. A pleasure, Dr. Scully. How familiar are you with the series of kidnappings that have taken place in Philadelphia?
2: Only what I read in the Herald, uh, that, uh, four young men have gone missing over the past three months, all of them African-American.
4: A joint FBI Philadelphia PD task force has been working around the clock, but there have been no leads to speak of. Until last night.
2: What happened last night?
4: Owen Sanders, the man most recently reported missing, was found dead near a construction site.
2: How was he killed?
4: Mm, that's just it, Agent Scully. He wasn't. There was no evidence indicating homicide.
2: Has a cause of death been determined?
4: No, but I'll let Dr. Bruin give you his thoughts on that.
3: This was taken last night, less than an hour after Sanders' body was found.
2: I'm sorry, I thought you said that Owen Sanders was black. He was. I'm not sure I follow. See for yourself. Owen Sanders was a perfectly normal young black man. I assume you're going somewhere with this
3: the depigmentation we're seeing may actually be characteristic of a disease, an apparently fatal one.
2: So you don't think these men are victims of a crime at all?
3: It's my opinion, Dr. Scully. This investigation should begin and end under a microscope.
4: Dr. Bruin's hope is that someone with a solid medical background like yourself can make a quick and decisive analysis.
3: Mulder joins Scully and has some of the evidence samples from Sanders' autopsy analyzed by Agent Pendrell, who finds a seed from a rare West African passion flower. Mulder takes the seed to his UN informant, Marita Kovarubias, and asks her for help. She provides him with information on the incident on the plane. This Who are you? Agent Mulder.
4: Fox Mulder. What are you doing? Sorry I frightened you. What do you want? I'm not sure why, but I thought you might be in a position to help me. Help you? Four young men are missing in Philadelphia. One of the men was found dead last night. This seed was recovered from the victim's body. It's from a rare species of plant found only in West Africa. Do you know anything about this case? No. Is there any way you could find something out about it?
2: Thousands of exotic species cross into U.S. soil every day undetected. Village waters is emptied into harbors, produce sent through the mail. In practical terms, borders a little more than lines on maps.
4: Is that a yes or a no?
2: I can't help you. You
4: can't or you won't. You made an overture to me. You left an opening. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me there's nothing here and I'll just walk away. Either way, I need to know.
3: Meanwhile, Samuel Aboa, an African immigrant who's seeking citizenship, attacks a young man while he's waiting for a bus, kidnapping him. Investigating Kittle's disappearance, Mulder finds a seed at the bus stop. They have Marcus Duff, a social worker who's helping Aboa apply for citizenship, cross reference the names from the flight. ...with those applying for permanent residency or a work visa. I am really quite busy.
4: I'm sorry, we won't take up much of your time. The INS district chief told us that you were in charge of most of the casework... ...for aliens immigrating from uh, Africa and the Caribbean.
1: I assist people from that part of the world where I came from 15 years ago.
4: Well, we're looking for somebody that came a little more recently than that. On a flight from Burkina Faso, this is the passenger manifest from the charter company.
1: And... You want me to do what exactly?
4: I'd like you to cross-reference the names on that list with anyone applying for permanent resident status or a work visa within the last
1: three months. I am a social worker, not a police officer. My business is not chasing down illegals.
2: Sir, we're not here to arrest anybody.
1: But you are FBI agents, are you not?
2: Yes. Investigating a possible public health crisis.
1: What kind of crisis?
3: This leads them to a BOA who runs when they try to question him, and they eventually capture him. Aboa appears to have no symptoms of the disease when he's analyzed at the local medical center, but Scully plans to examine him more. Mulder sees Diabra, a diplomat from Burkina Faso. Diabra tells him of an old folktale of the Bambara people about the Telico, which were nocturnal spirits of the air.
1: Even if I tell you what I know, you would never believe it. You'd be surprised at what I believe, sir. I had hoped if I closed my eyes, it would go away this time. This time? My people, the Bambara, are farmers, I grew up hearing the old stories. Believing them as only a child can believe. What kinds of stories? The teleco, Spirits of the air. It was said they rested by day. In closed, dark places deep inside the tree hollows and in homes beneath the ground. Too small, even for a child to hide himself. Only when the sun fell, when the rest of the world was sleeping, would they come out. Come out to do what, sir? I was seven years old. Lying awake one night, I saw him. He was standing over me. His hair was like straw. His eyes like water, staring down at me. I closed my eyes and screamed and felt myself being swept up into the air. But when I opened my eyes... I saw my father holding me. Then it was a nightmare. That's what my father said. And I believed him. Until the next day, when they found my cousin dead among his cattle. Looking exactly like
3: this man. Meanwhile, Scully examines a PET scan of a boa which shows that he has no pituitary gland. A boa escapes the hospital and meets Duff in a car. He paralyzes Duff in the same manner as the other victims and inserts a long object up his nose. A policeman finds Duff and requests an ambulance and the police tell Mulder and Scully they're sweeping the area for a boa. Driving around, Mulder tells Scully that he thinks Aboa is the mythical teleco. He stops at a demolition site, remembering that Pendril found asbestos fibers on Sanders' body. Mulder and Scully split up at the site. Scully finds the missing men dead, and Mulder is pierced as Kittle was. Scully finds him, calls for medical help, and shoots Aboa. In her field journal, Scully writes that Aboa will stand trial if he lives long enough. She muses that Aboa's condition and survival may be discovered by science, but humans have a fear of an alien among them, which causes them to deceive, inveigle, and, and obfuscate.
2: Special Agent Dana Scully, Field Journal Entry number 74. Despite acute trauma to his pituitary gland, Marcus Duff was discharged early this morning from Mount Zion Medical Center. He is expected to testify before a grand jury in the capital case against Samuel Aboa, who is being charged with five counts of murder. It remains uncertain, however, whether Aboa will live long enough to stand trial. His response to hormone therapy has been poor, his deterioration progressive. My conviction remains intact that the mechanism by which Aboa killed and in turn survived can only be explained by medical science, and that science will eventually discover his place in the broader context of evolution. But what science may never be able to explain is our ineffable fear of the alien among us, a fear which often drives us not to search for understanding, but to deceive, inveigle, and obfuscate, to obscure the truth not only from others, ...but from ourselves. Hand in your field report.
3: And now for my field report for Teleco. Teleco was better than I remembered. I actually enjoyed it. I watched it a couple times. And it's definitely better than I remembered. It's still not a great episode, but it's definitely better than I thought. It's definitely watchable, so nothing really stands out in particular about Teleco for me... ...other than the fact that the X-Files covers another one of those urban legends. This one's from another country but still it's another one of those legends that the X-Files covers and it's really amazing when you think about it. The X-Files gives us about nine seasons of this type of thing covering all these kind of mythical creatures and everything so you'd think they'd run out but they had nine seasons and they kept it really interesting for the whole nine seasons so and they actually never covered some ones that you would think about like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, they did do Jersey Devil, which is kind of like, kind of gave it the Bigfoot feel, and Big Blue was kind of uh, the Loch Ness Monster. But, you know, in particular, they didn't cover either one of those. And uh, there's some other common mythical creatures that the X-Files didn't really touch. So it's even more amazing that they didn't touch those, but they found all kinds of mythical creatures and urban legends to cover for all these years. So uh, that just... Is the only thing that really stands out about Teleco uh, for me. Didn't blow me away, but definitely watchable. So, I'd give it, compared to other X Files episodes, it's okay. 6.5, 7 maybe. Uh, compared to other Monster of the Week episodes, it's probably, you know, a 7. And yeah, compared to shows on TV, if I was channel surfing, I'd probably give it an 8, 8.5, something like that. So, if I was channel surfing, I'd, I'd stop. I'd stop on almost every episode anyway, so. I shouldn't really even use that as a gauge. For the Mythometer, this definitely is a monster of the week. I can't think of any myth arc elements of this episode. For the Sequelizer, I would say it definitely has a high potential for a sequel. If Ebola lives, or even if he doesn't, you know, you could definitely carry the teleco myth on. It could get redundant, but like I've said before, the X-Files writers were creative enough to touch on subjects It kind of give us sequels to episodes and the sequels wound up being just as good or sometimes better as the original episode that they did so that would definitely happen here it's definitely a possibility so high potential for a sequel on that that's all I can think of for Teleco so now let's head down to the chem lab and see what Agent Angela has for the chemistry between Mulder and Scully for Teleco
0: telico is another scully and therefore a science-centered episode which i really like we recently saw her take the helm like this not too long ago at the end of season three it's great to see once again skinner calls scully into his office early one morning and assigns her to help the cdc with this kidnapping slash albino victim mystery of course Agent Mulder's not going to be left behind down in the basement where's the fun in that Mulder's apparently used to the various strange corpses that keep landing on Scully's autopsy table because he just cracks jokes and snacks on sunflower seeds as she prepares to start slicing and dicing. But he predictably jumps to a conspiracy theory behind these weird deaths of black men. And of course, Scully tries to debate him that not everything is a shady government conspiracy. Or else something else that falls under the category bizarre phenomena. As fans often point out, How many times is Mulder right? Mulder's also at least somewhat aware of the fact Agent Pendrel has been crushing on Scully, because he tells him that Scully's on a date and notices Pendril's exhale of disappointment. But Mulder's still a nice guy, and he admits the date is with a dead man, she's doing an autopsy. Kind of a sweet and funny scene, however brief. The next exchange between Mulder and Scully is over the phone. Hey, what happened to Mulder's cell phone? He's on a payphone. Remember those? Instead. Like Scully pointed out in Home, Mulder usually doesn't fare that well without a cell phone for more than two minutes. Anyway, just something I noticed. I also noticed Scully seems a little testy with Mulder by the end of that phone call, especially in her tone of voice with, I have identified the effect, I am still looking for the cause. Mulder's lines of thought don't always jive that much with her strict scientific rationalism though this episode is one of many where it ends up being what indirectly saves him. Another young African-American man goes missing, and Mulder makes the connection to the man who was killed in the airplane, bathroom in the teaser. Now it's Mulder's turn at some semantics, undetermined but not necessarily unknown. He also offers the opinion that Scully needs to look up from the microscope for a minute to see there's a missing motive behind all these deaths. Well, still missing as far as either of them know. Samuel Aboa turns up and leads Mulder and Scully on a chase to an old building. Kind of reminiscent of tombs, in a minor way. Aboa didn't jump the fence as Scully initially thought. At the hospital, she wants to run additional medical tests on him, but needs the social worker to act as a translator. Despite their disagreements, Mulder and Scully do have a united front as Aboa's social worker resists helping them. Unfortunately, Aboa takes off just as Scully uncovers the bizarre truth of course, through medical science, that he has no pituitary gland. And as it turns out, he took off in search of the biological replenishment he needs. Soon after, Mulder does point out something that Scully does seem to accept as at least a partial truth in theory.
4: It's just another way of describing the same truths, right? I mean, all new truths begin as heresies and end as superstitions. We, we fear the unknown, so we reduce it to the terms that are most familiar to us, whether that's a folktale or a disease or conspiracy.
0: In the end, Mulder and Scully spent much of Teleko sticking stubbornly to their own MOs and points of view, science versus conspiracy. But they still come together to take down the monster as Scully shoots him, after another chase, this one into an air duct system. And I have to say, Scully must be stronger than she looks, pulling an out-of-commission Mulder out through a vent opening before he collapses to the ground. And plus, we hear that Scully's badge number is JTT 0331613. Mulder must have been too out of it to hear that, because into season 5, he still doesn't know her badge number, but I digress. Thankfully he is conscious enough to warn her with his eyes about the albino mutant behind her, the mutant that Scully, in her field report, still believes will be explained with the principles of medical science. Eventually. Until next time, this is Agent Angela. Counterintelligence Inside Information
5: This is Agent Stone with Counterintelligence with X4.3 Teleco Original air date October 18, 1996 Written by Howard Gordon Directed by James Charleston it's my opinion that this investigation should begin and end under a microscope. The talico, the spirits of the air, it was said they rested by day in closed dark places, deep inside tree hollows and in holes beneath the ground, too small even for a child to hide inside. Talico is Greek for end. Loss of pigmentation, albinism, Patiligo, autoimmune disorders, the West African plant Adenia vulkinsi, lacking the ability to produce melanin, being born without pituitary glands, stealing other people's hormones. A lot of stuff in this Tombs esque episode. Teliko explores the concept of the other, with the other representing characters of a different race. In the episode, the U.S. and its culture are treated as the norm, wherein the African culture in the episode is depicted in an intimidating way. African folk tales, which are not often considered strange in their own nation, are shown in the episode as ominous and bizarre. The episode prominently features tribal music, and according to Alan F. Moore in his book Analyzing Popular Music, the usage of the episode reinforces a dangerous but culturally dangerous slippage between the others. The writer claimed that linking the supernatural ethnic character to the tribal music adds a more exotic feeling to the character. By making the character seem more unnatural, it adds an extraterrestrial quality to him, making him seem even more unusual in nature. Charles D. Martin mused in the white African-American body that blackness is clearly attached to racial identity in the episode, commenting that the episode equates the cultural understanding of race to mere skin color. Martin cites Mulder's joke about Michael Jackson as a self-aware comment on another contemporary white Negro which reinforces a stereotype. Inspired by the topics of racial discrimination, Tolico explores xenophobia and prejudice. Xenophobia is the unreasoned fear of that which is perceived to be foreign or strange, can manifest itself in many ways involving the relations and perceptions of an group towards an out-group, including a fear of losing identity, suspicion of its activities, aggression, and desire to eliminate its presence to secure a presumed purity. Xenophobia can also be exhibited in the form of an uncritical exaltation of another culture in which a culture is ascribed an unreal stereotyped, and exotic quality. Vienna Declaration and Program of Action urges all governments to take immediate measures and to develop strong policies to prevent and combat all forms and manifestations of racism, xenophobia, or related intolerance where necessary by enactment of appropriate legislation including penal measure. Dictionary definitions of xenophobia include deep-rooted irrational hatred towards foreigners and unreasonable fear or hatred of the unfamiliar. The first is a population group present within a society that is not considered part of that society. Often they are recent immigrants, but xenophobia may be directed against a group which has been present for centuries, or became part of this society through conquest and territorial expansion. This form of xenophobia can elicit or facilitate hostile and violent reactions such as mass expulsion of immigrants, pogroms, or in other cases, genocide. The second form of xenophobia is primarily cultural and the objects of the phobia are cultural elements which are considered alien. All cultures are subject to external influences, but cultural xenophobia is often narrowly directed, for instance, at foreign loanwords in a national language. It rarely leads to aggression against individual persons, but can result in political campaigns for cultural or linguistic purification. In addition, entirely xenophobic societies tend not to be open to interactions from anything outside themselves, resulting in isolationism that can further increase xenophobia. Human skin color ranges in variety from the darkest brown to the lightest pinkish-white hues. Human skin pigmentation is the result of natural selection. Skin pigmentation in human beings evolved primarily to regulate the amount of ultraviolet radiation penetrating the skin controlling its biochemical effects. The actual skin color of different humans is affected by many substances, Although the single most important substance is the pigment melanin. Melanin is produced within the skin cells called melanocytes, and it's the main determinant of the skin color of darker skinned humans. The skin color of people with light skin is determined mainly by the bluish white connective tissue under the dermis and by the hemoglobin circulating in the veins of the dermis. The red color underlying the skin becomes more visible, especially in the face when as consequence of physical exercise or the stimulation of the nervous system, arterials dilate. There is a direct correlation between the geographic, geographic distribution of UV radiation and the distribution of indigenous skin pigmentation around the world. Areas that receive higher amounts of UVR, generally located closer to the equator, tend to have darker skin populations. Areas that are far from the tropics and closer to the poles have lower concentration of UVR which is reflected in lighter skin populations. Researchers suggest that human populations over the past 50,000 years have changed from dark skin to light skin and vice versa as they migrated to different UV zones, and that such major changes in pigmentation may have happened in as little as 100 generations through selective sweeps. Natural skin color can also darken as a result of tanning due to exposure to sunlight. The leading theory is that skin color adapts to intense sunlight irradiation to provide partial protection against the ultraviolet fraction that produces damage and thus mutations in the DNA of the skin cells. In addition, it has been observed that adult human females are considerably lighter in skin pigmentation than males. Females need more calcium during pregnancy and lactation. The body synthesizes vitamin D from sunlight which helps it absorb calcium. Females evolved to have lighter skin so their bodies absorb more calcium. The social significance of differences in skin color has varied across cultures and over time as demonstrated with regard to social status and discrimination. Albinism in humans is a congenital disorder characterized by the complete or partial absence of pigment in the skin, hair, and eyes due to the absence or defect of tyrosinase, a copper-containing enzyme involved in the production of melanin. It is the opposite of melanism. Unlike humans, other animals have multiple pigments, and for these, albinism is considered to be a hereditary condition characterized by the absence of pigment in the eyes, skin, hair, scales, feathers, or cuticle. Albinism results from inheritance of recessive gene alleles and is known to affect all vertebrates, including humans. While an organism with complete absence of melanin is also called an albino, an organism with only a diminished amount of melanin is described as leukistic or albinoid. Albinism is associated with a number of vision defects such as photophobia, nystagmus, and amblyphobia. Lacking of skin pigmentation makes for more susceptibility to sunburn and skin cancers. In rare cases such as Shidia higashi syndrome, Albinism may be associated with deficiencies in the transportation of melanin granules. This also affects essential granules present in immune cells, leading to increased susceptibility to infection. In humans, there are two principal types of albinism, occult affecting the eyes, skin, and hair, and ocular affecting the eyes only. Most people with oculocutaneous albinism appear white or very pale as the melanin pigments responsible for brown, black, and some yellow colorations are not present. Ocular albinism results in light blue eyes and may require genetic testing to diagnose. Because individuals with albinism have skin that entirely lacks the dark pigment melanin, which helps protect the skin from the sun's ultraviolet radiation, their skin can burn more easily from overexposure. The human eye normally produces enough pigment to color the iris blue, green, or brown and lend opacity to the eye. In photographs, those with albinism are more likely to demonstrate red eye due to the red of retina being visible through the iris. Lack of pigment in the eyes also results in problems with vision, both related and unrelated to photosensitivity. Those affected with albinism are generally as healthy as the rest of the population, with growth and development occurring as normal and albinism by itself does not cause mortality, although the lack of pigment blocking ultraviolet radiation increases the risks of melanomas and other problems. Oculocutaneous albinism is a form of albinism involving the eyes, skin, and according to some definitions the hair as well. Overall, an estimated 1 in 20,000 people worldwide are born with oculocutaneous albinism. OCA is caused by mutations in several genes that control the synthesis of melanin within the melekinites Four types of oculocutaneous albinism have been described, all caused by a disruption of melanin synthesis and all autosomal recessive disorders. Melanin is produced by cells called melanocytes in a process called melanogenesis. Melanin is made with small membrane-bound packages called melanosomes. As they become full of melanin, they move into the slender arms of melanocytes, from where they are transferred to the keratinocytes. Under normal conditions, melanosomes cover the upper part of the keratinocytes and protect them from genetic damage. Both the amount and type of melanin produced is controlled by a number of genes that operate under incomplete dominance. One copy of each of the various genes is inherited from each parent. Each gene can come in several alleles, resulting in the great variety of human skin tones. Melanin controls the amount of ultraviolet radiation from the sun that penetrates the skin by absorption. While UV radiation can assist in the production of vitamin D, excessive exposure to UV can damage health. Vitiligo is a chronic skin disease characterized by portions of the skin losing their pigment. It occurs when skin pigment cells die or are unable to function. Aside from cases of contact with certain chemicals, the cause of vitiligo is unknown. Research suggests vitiligo may arise from autoimmune, genetic, oxidative stress, neural, or viral causes. Vitiligo is typically classified into two main categories, segmental and non-segmental vitiligo. The global incidence of vitiligo is less than 1%, with some populations averaging between 2-3% to and as high as 16. Autoimmune diseases such as Addison's disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and type 1 diabetes mellitus tend to occur more often in people who have vitiligo. There is no cure, but many treatment options are available. In vertebrate anatomy, the pituitary gland, or hypothesis, is an endocrine gland Endocrine gland, which are glands of the endocrine system that secrete their products, hormones, directly into the blood rather than through a duct. The major glands of the endocrine system include the pineal gland, pituitary gland, pancreas, ovaries, testes, thyroid gland, parathyroid gland, hypothalamus, and adrenal glands. The hypothalamus and pituitary gland are neuroendocrine organs. Local chemical messengers not generally considered part of the endocrine system including autocrines which act on the cells that secrete them and paracrines which act on a different cell type nearby. The ability of a target cell to respond to a hormone depends on the presence of receptors within the cell or on its plasma membrane to which the hormone can bind. Scully finalizes My conviction remains intact that the mechanism by which Ebo killed and in turn survived can only be explained by medical science and that science will eventually discover his place in the broader context of evolution. But what science may never be able to explain is our ineffable fear of the alien among us, a fear which often drives us not to search for understanding, but to deceive, inveigle, and obfuscate, to obscure the truth not only from others, but from ourselves. For now, I'd say this case is open, so the final word on Tolico, you'd be surprised at what I believe, sir.
0: out there for Tellico, These first review excerpts I've pulled from theavclub.com, in which Mulder takes a bad trip and Scully shoots a pigmentation vampire. Well, it looks good anyway. By now we've seen the poor bastard cold open dozens of times on this show. Poor bastard, as in, don't get too attached to this. But Tellico is still effective, shocking and grim and with a curious sort of subtle, mean-spirited humor that would come to define much of the show from this season on. There's nothing exactly laughable about what happens here. A passenger on a flight goes to use the restroom. He's attacked, and his attacker exits the plane, leaving the passenger's corpse behind. Drained of all color, face frozen in terror. It's tightly edited, full of the kind of claustrophobic, off-putting shots that the X-Files has always used so well. Throughout the episode, we get the occasional glimpse of the main monster hiding in places where no human could possibly fit. It should look ridiculous, and it kind of does, but it's unsettling as well. In Teleco, though, the series is openly attempting to do a story about government cover-ups of minority deaths, as well as its usual obsessions with science versus faith, and creepy dudes engaging in creepy violent behavior. Theoretically, this could work, and you can respect the show for trying the time-honored genre tactic of hiding real-world issues behind the fantastical metaphors it's just unfortunate that the message here isn't exactly progressive. Intentionally or not, Telico doesn't paint a positive picture of foreigners, with all their strange ways and customs. All the major black roles are either victims or the villain himself, and in many ways, this plays out like a horror film from the 50s, Beware the Terror from Dark Shores. Can I be honest? I am definitely a little uncomfortable here. It's impossible to talk about Telico without bringing up the issue of race because without that issue, this is just a standard Monster of the Week entry, stripped of its flavor. It's squeezed from all the way back in the first season, a creature who can hide just about anywhere, and kills people to acquire the crucial biological material it needs for survival. You can't strip away the flavor, though. The X-Files' ability to vamp on its familiar structures is one of the reasons the show survived as long as it did, and as well. And much of the enjoyment of these mid-series episodes comes from the strange twists and adornments the writers tack on to largely predictable material. We get the occasional mind-blower, and there are, of course, the mythology arcs, but much of the week-to-week experiences of watching the show is in appreciating the variations on a theme. Of course, Mulder will have some crackpot theory, and of course, Scully will demand a more rigorous scientific accounting. Even right up to the moment, everything goes completely... Telico is really more awkward and ham-fisted than outright unpleasant. It attempts to shoehorn real-world problems into a, let's face it, a kind of silly story. More misguided than intentionally harmful. But that doesn't make it any easier to ignore the fact, boiled down, this is a plot about a frightening foreigner who comes into our country without any difficulties whatsoever. A creature who can barely communicate with others and still benefits from our social systems a creature who sprung from the tribal myths of the Dark Continent. Yeah, okay, it's not running around stealing white women out of skyscrapers, but that is some seriously tricky stuff, and it doesn't help that the episode keeps drawing attention to its own uncomfortable politics. The final confrontation between our heroes is one of the better climaxes the show's done, and once Samuel hits Mulder with a blow dart, it makes a smart move of putting all responsibility on Scully's shoulders. The final moments of the fight, with Mulder frantically signaling to Scully with his eyes that the creature is coming up behind her, is wonderfully tense, and also serves a nice image for their respective purposes. Mulder's crazed plunge towards the answers has a habit of leaving him stunned and shaken, unable to do much more than wince, while Scully's cooler, more measured approach means it often falls on her shoulders to interpret what her partner can only suggest, doing what needs to be done. Anyway, it's not a bad conclusion. It's just too bad so much of the episode is given over to nonsense. Grade, B-. minus. So what are my two cents? I've always found Telico one of the more forgettable X-Files episodes. Not unwatchable, of course, just not nearly as exciting or memorable as so many others. I just find that not enough was done with this particular monster of the week to get me that invested in him, in what he does, or what happens to him. Up until the episode's climax, I found my mind wandering a couple of times, thinking I'd rather switch over and re-watch Tombs again. Same kind of mutant, and to paraphrase the reviewer here, way much more flavor. My second review, in part, comes from My Truth, an X-Files blog. It's difficult being in a new country, learning the local culture and how you fit. Imagine, however, that you're also harboring a dark secret, It's a daily choice between kill or be killed, all while trying to assimilate and fit into your new homeland and hide your secret life. This is the life of Samuel Oboa, which unfolds in this episode. The case unfolds not because of unusual phenomena, as we come to expect on The X-Files, but instead because of Scully's medical expertise. The CDC has asked for the help of the FBI in regards to a recent string of disappearances involving African-American men. When one of the bodies of the missing men is found displaying the traits of albinism, it is suspected that this might be due to a disease instead of kidnapping as originally suspected. To aid in determining the reasons for the loss of pigment, Scully begins her investigation when assigned by Skinner. Oddly enough, this case appears to be outside the X-Files caseload, therefore not requiring the participation of Agent Mulder. But of course, Mulder doesn't want to miss out on the fun and tags along anyway. It's a decision he may well regret, as he nearly becomes a victim, were it not for the quick action of his partner. Along the way, Mulder adds his own spin to the case, and even manages to momentarily torment the hard-working Pendrell with ideas that Scully is on a date, despite the reality she is doing an autopsy. In a meeting that feels rather forced, Mulder travels to the United Nations to run his partner's case past his new source, Marita Kovarubias. First, Mulder stalks her in the darkness as she leaves the UN. He then implies that her international connections are far-reaching, and she has knowledge of the seed, un- seed recovered. It's a rather bold assumption, given this is only their second meeting. Rubius is reluctant, and given how forward Mulder is, not to mention how he trailed her, it's understandable. Still, Mulder pushes, insisting that she's made an overture. In many ways, it feels like these two should still be getting a feel for their source-slash-agent relationship, but Mulder seems to jump over that step and straight into the you-have-to-help-me stage, which seems premature. Still, Mulder's persistence does pay off as he secures a late-night talk with the minister at the Burkina Faso Embassy. The minister recounts the legend of the Teleco and an experience he had as a child. It's a nice tie-in to give us a little more background on the events unfolding, yet it doesn't really advance the case. The trail eventually leads the two agents to Samuel Aboa, a recent Burkina Faso immigrant. Upon testing, it's discovered that Aboa lacks a pituitary gland, which produces melanin in skin cells. This explains his need to acquire the pituitary gland from others. Watching Aboa pull the device used for extracting the gland from others from his throat is one of the most terrifying parts of the episode. One can only imagine how horrifying this would be to his paralyzed victims, unable to flee the killer before them. The image of the pale victims is also burned into your memory as you watch this episode. What I did enjoy is how much in Scully's wheelhouse this episode truly turned out to be. While the killings were unusual, the facts involved still came right back to science. It also emphasized how strong and capable Scully is as an agent. While Mulder came in to help, it's quite apparent Scully takes the lead not only for her scientific abilities, but also coming to the rescue of Mulder in the end. Final thoughts, although this, is, although this is a fairly solid episode, and the pigment loss effect was interesting, it's hard to overlook that Aboa is basically a variation of the mutant we saw in Eugene Victor Tombs in Squeeze. Unfortunately, Aboa's one-dimensional character and the similarities to its predecessor make the second telling less interesting, exciting, and subsequently less memorable. Yep, that last part's exactly what I thought about Aboa. It also got me thinking back to the idea that the X Files writers just don't do ethnic centered stories very well. Probably the flagship episode of that idea, Teso dos Bichos. Well, Teleco is not quite as bad all around. It's certainly not that interesting to me either. My final words on Telico deceive, inveigle, and obfuscate.
5: This is Agent Barry, and you're listening to X-Files Truth.
0: Character profiles. But these aren't humans, though. Profiles in character. From the look of it, I'd say they were alien.
5: This week's profile, Howard Gordon. Howard Gordon, born March 31, 1961, is an American television writer and producer. He is well known for his work on the Fox Action Series 24 alongside the Showtime thriller Homeland, which he co-developed with Alex Gonza and Gideon Raff, and the FX political drama Tyrant, which he co-developed with Craig Wright. He also produced the critically acclaimed but short-lived NBC science fiction thriller Awake. Gordon was born in Queens, New York City, and graduated from Rosslyn High School while growing up in a Jewish family. After graduating from Princeton in 1984, Gordon came to Los Angeles with fellow filmmaker Alex Gonza to pursue a career in writing for television. Both broke into the industry with single episodes of ABC's Spencer for Hire. Their Spencer work turned industry heads, and the pair joined the Emmy-nominated series Beauty and the Beast as staff writers and were later named producers. In 1990, the Gonza-Gordon team was signed to a two-year deal with Whit Thomas Productions, during which they produced several pilots. One was an ABC project called Country Estates, which caught the attention of famed producer Chris Carter. Soon after, Carter invited Gordon and Gonza to join the X-Files as supervising producers. Gordon wrote or co-wrote several scripts each season before departing from the series in 1997 to pursue other projects. After co-writing one episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Gordon created his own show, The Short-Lived Strange World, in 1999. Strange World went to see 13 episodes, but in Gordon and Strange World writer Tim Minear's service were quickly snapped up by Buffy creator Joss Whedon on another project, Angel. After two years with Angel, Gordon jumped ship in 2001 for Fox's successful 24, where he would write several episodes in season 1 and 2, then crafted the entire story arcs for season 3 and 4. Gordon temporarily left 24 in the middle of the 2004 season to rejoin Minear, this time as co-creator of another Fox series, The Inside. Despite The Inside's cancellation and short run, talk circulated of including the 2 mini gordon series Strange World and The Inside on a special DVD set sometime in 2006. Beginning in 2006, Gordon became 24's showrunner, a title he held through its final season. In 2010, after finishing 24, Gordon began co-developing, alongside with Gideon Raff and Alex Gonza, the thriller Homeland, for Showtime. Based on the Israeli series Prisoners of War, it centers on a woman who works for the CIA and is convinced a recently returned American prisoner of war has been turned by Al-Qaeda. The show premiered Sunday, October 2, 2011. It has been met with major critical acclaim and maintained a steady viewership rating throughout its first season. Showtime is now running its fourth season, which premiered on October 5, 2014. In 2012, he won the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Writer for a Drama Series for writing the pilot of Homeland, and the series itself won the Emmy Award for Outstanding Drama Series. In 2011, Gordon signed on to NBC's new Kyle Killen fantasy pilot, Awake, as an executive producer. When NBC picked the project up to series status, Gordon added writer and showrunner to his occupational duties on the show. The series only ran from March 1st, 2012 to May 24, 2012, and was canceled. In 2015, he worked as an executive producer on the horror drama series Frankenstein for Fox Television Network, Frankenstein based on a script by Rand Ravitch, who worked with him as an executive producer on the series. You can also check out Howard Gordon's official website at howardgordon.com, and you can also follow him on Twitter.
2: Checked your email? I
3: found these in my email this morning. And now the female with the emails, Agent Angela.
0: Hey everyone. A couple of exciting things this time around. First off, we got an email from my predecessor, Agent Chelsea. It says, Hey agents. Wowza, it's been a while. I just wanted to email you all to say hello. You've been blazing through the show and doing such an amazing job. I miss you all so much. Things have been so crazy and changed so much on my end. I can only imagine that they have for you all as well. Just for fun, I wanted to say that the last episode you talked about, Home, is one of my favorites. It's supposed to be the scariest one, but it's the one that makes me laugh the most. Is that sick? I usually react that way to scary movies too. What a weirdo. Don't want to take up too much of your time, so I'll just leave it there. If you ever need a special report or a random opinion on an episode, let me know. Agent Angela, you are doing a wonderful job. Thanks for keeping the podcast going. The truth is still out there. Agent Chelsea. That was a treat to see in our inbox. Great to hear from you, Agent Chelsea. Hope everything's going good on your end. Yeah, we have changed a lot, and I just commented to Agent Shadow recently. The podcast is going so fast, it seems crazy. We're going to be into the later seasons before we know it. We'll definitely let you know if we need a special report or similar. Stay tuned. And no, I don't think the scary movie thing is sick. Some freak me out, but some others can be so cliché that I can't help but act like the robots from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and crack smart-ass remarks all the way through them. Thanks so much for your nice comments. I definitely don't think any of us could do this alone. And again, awesome to hear from you. Our next piece of exciting news... David Duchovny favorited us on Twitter. Let's just say it's probably a good thing I was by myself when I saw that, because suffice to say I freaked out. It was a link to a recent interview he did with the LA Times about X-Files 2015, and he said, it's like the Eagles' greatest hits tour, by me. So yeah, that was the tweet that got the favorite. So exciting. Anyway, enough with the fangirling. A few more things from Twitter. Shane Poole is going to start a re-listen of us from the very beginning. Someday I'll have to do that myself to see how much we've evolved. I think that would be interesting. Knife Inc. retweeted something that I posted a while ago and I actually forgot about. We should bring back WXFT and do a part four at some point in the future. For those who might be newer listeners, those are some special episodes we did in the past of only the music we used in the podcast episodes back-to-back songs injected with X-Files DNA. I think it's a great idea, and the timing is perfect with the X-Files revival somewhere over the horizon. It wouldn't happen right away, but we'll keep you posted. That wraps it up for this time around. If you like X-Files Truth, we'd love it if you'd follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave us a rating or review on iTunes. You can also email us, if you like, at xfilestruth@live.com. at live.com. Again, thanks everyone for your comments and feedback, and it was especially exciting to hear from Agent Chelsea. It had been a long time, it seems. The truth is still out there, people. Go find it.
5: Files Truth Agent Mulder and Scully track a psychotic kidnapper-slash-killer through psychic Polaroids left behind, depicting nightmarish images of his terrified victims surrounded by demonic icons.
3: That closes the file for Teleco. I'm glad I got the podcast out on time uh, this month. It was unbelievable with all the snow that we had up here. We had so many blizzards this month, and then record-setting cold, and it's just been uh, (laughs) really crazy. I've kind of been going out straight for a month here with all types of stuff. So I'm just happy to get the podcast out this month. It was really hard. I hope everybody else that was affected by these blizzards has been dug out and is uh, safe and sound. We should be past most of the blizzards by now. (laughs) So it's March now, by the time you're hearing this. So spring starts soon. So I hope you guys enjoyed Teleco. Like I said, it was better than I remembered. It even had a little bit of the squeeze and tombs kind of influence to it. That little twist. And the music was great as always, too. So, all right, that's everything for Teleco. And we will see you guys next month for Unruhe. Did you like that one, puppies? I made this! 20th Century Fox. Yes, lucky.